Good morning. Today's passage is from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning for those of you joining us via live stream. My name is Rob, in case you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here. Now, let me start off by saying or asking you this. As you're sitting there in your lounge room or wherever, watching this from different screens, when I say the word evangelism or perhaps evangelist, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of Billy Graham and Billy Graham preaching to a packed stadium of people. Or when I say evangelist, maybe you think of a, one of your Christian friends who is really courageous in their faith and just seems to be sharing Jesus with everybody, everybody that has a pulse, just courageously always sharing their faith. Or for some of you, when I say evangelist, maybe that gives you a bad taste in your mouth because you think of some of the dodgy televangelists out there who are swindling and manipulating people to give them money. But putting aside the negative or positive ideas of evangelist, when I say the word evangelism, and when you think especially about your personal evangelism, I wonder then what comes to mind. I wonder if I said something like this. What if I said, okay, church, today we're going to do evangelism together. I wonder what range of emotions you'd experience at that moment. Would it be fear, anxiety, guilt, excitement, enthusiasm, optimism, insecurity. I guess depending on the day, maybe all the above, right? But if you've been around church long enough, no doubt you've heard this term evangelism. The question is, what is evangelism? And how do we know that we're doing this thing called evangelism? That's what I want to explore together this morning. What is this thing that we call evangelism? And then second, who is called to evangelize? What is evangelism? Who's called to do it? That's where we're headed. Why don't we pray just quickly together and we'll unpack these two questions. Lord, we pray now that as I know that live stream gets old 
It's distracting. It's not um, ideal. But yet we pray now that by your spirit, you would focus our hearts and our minds, that you would burn in us a desire for the lost. That even through this sermon, Lord, through the equipping of your saints, you would save some, that you would save sinners. Energize us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So a little bit of personal, I don't talk about myself heaps, but here we go. A little bit of a personal anecdotes for you. When I was 17, I was uh, saved. The Lord actually saved me. I was a selfish punk, to put it nicely, uh, and I was very hostile to Christianity. Uh, but God saved me when I was 17 years old, and I was so blown away that the Lord had saved me that I wanted to share that with this story, right, this testimony that I had with as many people as I could. And, and I remember that this was grade 12, so my final year of high school, and I, I thought, honestly thought, you know, everyone in my senior class is actually going to gonna come to know Christ, right? I mean, why wouldn't they? I, I was honestly convinced, you know, I, some of them might take longer than others, but before everybody graduates, the whole class is going to be, a, they're all going to be Christians. And so I just started sharing my testimony with every single person I possibly could. And the common response I received was, wow, that's really nice for you, Rob. I'm glad your faith has helped you. It's like, oh, I don't sort of know how to respond to that. Like, well, thanks, but wait. Uh. So then, not long after that, I was off to the Christian bookstore. And so I said, I've got to be more convincing, right? Because clearly my testimony, it's only going so far. So I was off to the Christian bookstore, and I asked this nice lady, I want to convince people about Christianity. So she handed me this book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Helpful book. I, I, I devoured the thing and uh, loved it. She also handed me uh, another book, Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. Handed me another book by a guy named Josh McDowell and, and uh, all these other books. And, and I, uh, look, I found them really helpful, particularly in defending the faith. But I, I, I couldn't argue anybody into the kingdom of God. I thought I could. <laughs> Seriously. I thought I could actually persuade people enough if I can just change their minds. <clears throat> then again, everyone there on graduation day is going to be a Christian. Because again, why, why wouldn't you? Now, here's the deal. Testimonies are good and right. We, we really want to share with people, hey, this is what God has done in my life. And this thing called apologetics or defending the faith or answering, answering common questions that people have, that, that's a good thing. But those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily evangelism, you see. Though they're, they're good and they're right and we should pursue those things. They can't replace evangelism. Okay, so then what is evangelism, you might ask? What is evangelism? Well, we'll give you a simple statement. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. If that's simple enough for you. Short and sweet. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. Let's unpack this a bit. 
sharing the gospel. In Romans 10, and I thought I had Andrew. Can I steal your Bible again, brother? This is really funny. <laughs> if you have your Bible, look at Romans 10 with me. Apparently, I'm... And can I give you these? It's a good book. Thanks, man. We're going to socially distant here. There we go. Thank you. 1.5 meters from you. So, Romans 10. Um, it's interesting here. What, what Paul's doing, he, he reveals his heart. He divulges his... He's heartbroken over his fellow Jews in Romans 10 specifically. Um, he talks about that so many of his fellow Jews, they have a zeal for God, but not according to truth, right? Not according to knowledge. They don't lack zeal, but what they do lack is truth. So how can this situation, the Jews, how can they then be saved? How can the situation be flipped? Well, he actually pulls back like a good Jewish boy himself, Paul that he was, pulls back on his memory, Joel 2. And he throws Joel 2 and he, he, he says this phrase, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's referring to Joel there. And he says in the same way, right? Those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. So he, he, he narrows it. You still with me? In other words, those who call on the name of the Lord, those who call on the name of Christ, will be forgiven of sin, will be saved. And by the way, this isn't only applied specifically to Jews. It's not just to Jews only. I mean, if you're looking at your Bible there, notice verse 13, the word everyone. Can you see that? Or all? All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 12, right above there, he, he just lumped together both Jews and non-Jews by using the word all. Salvation, in other words, salvation is available to anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Think about that for a second. You know, there, there's probably someone in your life right now, friend, co-worker, family member, who you think, nah, they're too far gone, right? I have, I have family members that I, I'm tempted to think that. <sighs> they're too far gone. There's no way. There's no way. But anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the deal. This can't happen. In fact, this won't happen without trusting in Jesus. And believing in him cannot occur unless they hear about him. Oh, I've got this little mic thing going on here. Should I grab the little hand mic? Take two. Again, oh, here we go. Look at this. Look it off my ear. Can someone write a funny comment? <laughs> Judy Carter, I have full confidence in you to write a funny comment right now. Now, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Is that distracting? You can, well, you can't see it. Can the video, can our video people see it? Good? All right. So here's the deal. This cannot happen 
you st- hopefully you're still with me, right? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that encouraging? Yes. But it won't happen. It can't happen unless they trust in Jesus. And listen, believing in him cannot occur unless they hear about him. And, ha- and how is that going to come about unless someone shares the good news with them? That's what Paul's about here in verse 14. If you come there with me, he asks these rhetorical questions in verse 14 of chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Can you see what Paul's getting at? Do you see what he's saying? If a person is to be saved, someone must be sent to them. And the person sent must preach the gospel as well as those who hear it must believe in order to be saved. Can you see the order there? Look at a nice summation here. Look at, look at what this, how he sums it up in verse 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, faith cannot exist without hearing the gospel. The famous evangelist George Whitfield used to preach out in the open air to hundreds, actually thousands of people. And many people, as in like multitudes, were saved because of the ministry, both in the UK and in America, from this guy, George Whitfield. But not everyone was a fan. He had his detractors, right? With his group of critics, this group of young guys used to actually follow him around. And as Whitfield would, would preach, they'd be off to the side, sort of mim- mimicking his, his voice and his facial expressions. Whitfield actually grew up in, um, in the arts, in theater. And so he, he had a very, I'm sure, dramatic, theatrical sort of way to communicate. And so here's these guys off to the side really mocking him and mimicking, taking on his voice, and uh, you know, however he you know, was communicating. It's interesting, th- this group, uh, as they're all, one time as Whitfield is preaching, they're off to the side, and their ringleader is, you know, sort of taking on his mannerisms and all these things, and doing the exact sort of tone of voice and facial expressions, all that, until this ringleader all of a sudden stopped, started listening to the words that Whitfield was saying, because he, he was, well, he was one he was mimicking, but he actually was not just hearing it to mimic it, but actually he was coming, taking it to heart. And as he listened, his countenance sort of dropped a bit. He stopped mimicking him, and he sat down and was converted. <laughs> you see, faith comes by hearing, hearing the message of Christ. I wonder if you've ever heard this little slogan. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. What's the problem there? Well, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal. It's a message, aoangelion, literally, message in Greek. That's what it is. It's an announcement. 
So without words, you can't be saved. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. Okay, it's crucial then, if this is true, what kind of words are we to use? What kind of message are we to give? Well, it, again, evangelism is sharing the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, let, let me just spend a brief moment by unpacking this term gospel by using four words. Kind of give you an outline here. God, man, Christ, response. So when you think about sharing the gospel, if you kind of have in your head floating around those four words, I find for myself it's super helpful. God, man, Christ, response. Because the gospel starts with God. Let's begin there. God. God is our creator. He is holy and just. One day, he will execute perfect justice against all sin. So I have, if you look up on the screen there, I've got a number of verses for you to see. Reference, write down, look at later. But the gospel begins, you have to understand, with God. God is our creator. Next, man. Man. Now, now, do you see how the second bit is man? Do you see why that's important? Because there are parachurch ministries that work with uni kids, particularly in America, and their, their gospel presentation was always this. Ready? God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. What's the problem there? Well, yeah, it began with God to a point, but it's, who's it primarily focused on? Oh, me. This, this God loves me. Well, who's God? So you have to define God as a creator. He is holy. He is just. And as such, because he has created man, guess what? We are accountable to this God, you see. That's the key. So first God, then man. So people are made in the image of God. We're beautiful and amazing creatures with dignity, worth, and value. But through our sinful rebellion against God, we have turned from being his children to being his enemies. And God would be perfectly just to pour out his wrath on us for all eternity. Because by nature, we are not born as God's children, though that's true in one sense that we are God's children by his creation of us. But spiritually, we are born separated from God. So the Lord would be completely just to condemn us. But he sent his son. This is the third bit. God, man, Christ. Christ. Jesus is the son of God, whose sinless life gave him the ability to become the perfect sacrifice. Through his death on the cross, he ransomed sinful people. And Christ's death paid for the sins of all who come to him in repentance and faith. God, man, Christ, lastly, response. Response. The reaction God requires from us is to acknowledge our sin, repent, and believe in 
Christ. You see, without this last bit, it's just information. It's like you ever seen those advertisements on buses? For like, you know, Central Coast flooring or granny flats or whatever it might be. And it just sort of just goes past you, right? That, that could be like what the gospel's like without responding because it's just simply information that zooms. And because we can be familiar, just like with those buses that go by with the ads, but we may not actually be sort of into that information, if that makes any sense. So the, the fourth bit is, is critically, this is where you press because someone can say, oh, okay, well, that sounds good. But it's how are they then responding to that message? Because evangelism is sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. An aim to persuade. Now, we have to remem remember that when we talk to someone, when we are sharing the gospel, that that individual is created in the image, image of God, but that individual has a soul that will never die. And they, that soul is going to go one of two places, to eternal life or eternal death, to heaven or to hell. That's why having an aim keeps perspective. It steers us toward an end. We want to see them move from darkness to light. I don't know about you, but I find it I don't know. Um, this is the part that I wrestle with a bit because I think we, we want an aim, we want to persuade. It's almost like, I don't know about you, but I, I think I've become a bit too content when I shouldn't be with just saying, well, I probably planted a seed, right? I planted a seed, but I reckon we need to press harder. Not be pushy, but actually press to actually see them turning one way or the other. Not, not, not you know, offending them and, and being obnoxious, but actually you're saying, so what, what are you going to do with Jesus now, friend? You've, you've heard the truth. What are you? Because just by them pondering these things and by us backing off, I reckon we've, we've, we haven't held their feet to the fire, so to speak, enough. And so we really want to persuade them because a life is at stake, right? A soul is at stake. That, that's how we have to see them. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws them in, but we want to be as persuasive as we possibly can. Um, Max Stiles, in his book called Evangelism, he says this, evangelists are like trained counselors who are called upon to talk people threatening suicide. Their aim is to talk potential jumpers off the ledge. The counselors don't use force and don't lie. They use truth, hope, and reason to persuade. They stay calm and cool. Plus, they are kind because they know a life is at stake. Just like them, we use the hope of the gospel to reason. We keep our cool and our kind, too, because we remember what is at stake. Our aim is to persuade people off the ledge. And there is great relief when someone is persuaded and moves into the safe embrace of the Savior. I love that. What a great picture. So what is evangelism? Evangelism is sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. Sharing the gospel with an aim to persuade. Now, who is called to do that? Is it the elders? 
Is it the guy that the church pays to stand up front and talk about Jesus? Should it be left just mainly to the professionals? Or does it have something to do with each one of us? Something the church can do together. Many of you, I'm assuming, have read or or been familiar with the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now listen to this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a commission for all of Jesus' disciples, right? Those who literally heard him say this in Galilee and those who read his words. So those who literally heard his words and those of us today who read his words. Otherwise, it'd be kind of pointless for him to say, I'm with you to the very end of the age because the disciples, like the end of the age hasn't happened yet. (laughs) It's like 2,000 years later. And we read that and every time we go and we evangelize, we know that the Lord is with us, you see. Uh, the disciples are long gone, but our job is to continue to carry on this message. And you see that happening in the book of Acts, by the way. Even after when persecution happened in Acts chapter 8, and the church was dispersed. Well, when they were dispersed, it was basically sending them out like missionaries. And they were sharing the gospel with people left, right, and center. And, and people were converted. People came to know Christ. When Paul plants churches and he writes to these churches, uh, in fact, he, he, he celebrates their partnership in evangelism, right? Their partnership in the gospel. I, I want you to turn with me to Philippians just quickly here. Book of Philippians, it, it's, Paul writes this, it's a real letter to this church in Philippi. And he says this, he lets them know that he, he's thanking God for them. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, he thanks God for them, right? Not because he thinks they're cool or socially connects with them, but thanks God in a way that highlights something. It's their partnership in the gospel. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. You see that? From the first day until now. That's what Paul celebrates, that this church and him, as well as together, has a partnership. They are linking arms together. You know, when, whenever you hear about evangelism, this is, this is typically, I don't know about you, but this is typically what happens. Well, a number of things can happen. A, you get anxious, and you think, oh, I don't know what to say. What if I look stupid, or I don't know, oh, and then you kind of, you feel guilty, but then when the live stream ends, you sort of go back to your life and just hope that we don't keep talking about this. That, that's one option. Or a second option is you think about evangelism and you sort of get really excited, and then you, but you think about it primarily in, in an individualistic sort of way, right? Well, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to be, you know, sort of James Bond uh, I'm going to be just, you know, God's agent. Um, here, here's what I want to push us to in the remainder of our time. How do we think about doing evangelism together as a church? 
because it's quite frightening. I mean, and then think about it. Like, if, if this is true, everything I've just said, you know, talking about trying to persuade people to step off the ledge, is anything more important than trying to, like, save someone's soul? No. But can anything be more frightening? Well, not really. It can also be very scary. So if I've just said that this is super important and this can also be super frightening, now get out there, you introverts, and have a go. Uh, no thanks. Right? Instead, what I'm saying is, how do we then link arms together as a church and think about doing evangelism together? Now, what I don't mean, what I don't mean is programs. Because programs can become extremely easy. All you have to do is throw some money at it, hire some people to do it, and bang, you've got a program, right? Now, there's nothing inherently evil about that, but I think the church as a whole misses out. Because I think we are called, all of us, to evangelize, are we not? In fact, I, I want to um, read this. I just gave a quote from this book, Evangelism. I've got a couple copy of the, uh, this book, a couple copies of this book. So if you're keen, once we can all gather together, um, happy to pass some of them out to you. But Max Stiles, he's a, um, an elder um, in Dubai. And he talks about, I'm going to read here. He quotes this passage in Philippians that we just read. And I'm going to read uh, just a page or two here because this he, he, he talks about having a culture, cultivating a culture of evangelism as a whole church. And one of his points here is a culture that pulls together as one. He, wrote, he says this, Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, telling them of his gratefulness to them for partnering with him in the ministry of the gospel. This is a picture of a culture of evangelism. They all pulled together for the gospel. Everyone was on game. That's, that, that's, that, that's what I want for our church, you know? Honestly, if we have this, I reckon that's twice as powerful as any program we could do. Because think about it this way. Think about it logically. And I'm going to keep reading here. But if the people that you know, I'm assuming you know mm, probably well enough seven people, okay? Give or take, seven to eight people, maybe ten. Like, you know them well enough. Like, they know your name, you know them, right? Okay, so on a given Sunday here, we've probably got, oh, I don't know, 85, 90, eh, give or take. So, like, if every one of those people that we know, so do the math, 85, 90 people times seven, we couldn't fit them in this building. <laughs> For one, there's no way. Not to mention, many of them probably wouldn't come. So, but we have to then be equipped together as a church, you see, to go out and do it, to reach these people. But I want to keep reading here. He said, when I coached, um, he talks about coaching his, um, no, I'll keep going here. In a culture of evangelism, there's an understanding that everyone is engaged. Have you ever heard someone say, evangelism is not my gift? as if that excused him from sharing his faith. That's a kindergarten understanding of evangelism. All Christians are called to share their faith as a point of faithfulness, not gifting. You hear that? All of us. I long to share my faith in a context of a church that understands what I'm doing and is pulling with me. In such a culture, 
when I bring a friend to church, others don't assume that person is a Christian. They are shocked, not shocked when I introduce someone and say, this is Bob, and he's checking out Christianity. And not only are they not shocked, but they respond with something like this. I'm so glad you were here. I, I was in the same place a couple years ago, and I'd love to hear about it. Tell me, what are you thinking through right now? I long for a culture where we are all working together toward the goal of being witness for Christ. Then he goes on to say this. He talks about a culture in which people teach one another. He quotes 1 Peter. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Then he says this. Peter instructs us to be ready to share reasons and answers for the hope within us. To be able to do this, we need thoughtful training, which we can put to use. This is why Paul reminds Timothy to follow what he's been taught. I would happily trade all the pizzazz of stunning speakers, mind-blowing music, and wildly popular Easter pageants for a culture of evangelism in which people are trained to lead a Bible study with a non-Christian in the Gospel of Mark, point to the message of the Gospel in the text, and urge the unbeliever to come to Jesus based on the truth of what he has learned from the Scriptures. Amen. In a culture of evangelism, members teach one another the kind of things we looked at in the previous chapter. What is evangelism? What is the Gospel? And what is true biblical conversion? We also teach one another how to share the gospel message. Then we do it all over again, knowing that we get rusty. In a culture of evangelism, people carefully teach one another and share their faith in a biblical way. And again, I'm not going to sit here and read the whole book to you, but you get the idea. That's a culture of evangelism. You see, that, that, that's, that's what I would love to see happening here at Wyoming. So, I'm, you're probably sick of hearing this conclusion, but I'm actually going to say it again. How do we know, and I'm actually going to give you an opportunity here, even though Sky told you just a second ago, put away your phones, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give you an opportunity because if you really believe this is important, like do you, do you really, really, stop, seriously, stop, think for a second. Do you really think, do you really believe that hell is a real place? And you believe those without Christ, your friends, your neighbors, are going there if they don't turn to Jesus. Who do you think is going to tell them? That's not to guilt you. I'm just saying, honestly, like, who do you think is going to tell? I mean, you kind of, oh, I don't know. I, don't know. I hope maybe somebody. Well, it's probably going to be you. Or it needs to be you. So here's your opportunity. Right? I've been saying this. How do we know who's in? Put your hand in here. You know, I've been saying that week after week. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now as we close up this time. I want you to do this. I want you to think of a non-Christian friend, coworker, neighbor, whatever. Someone you know. And again, you know that seven to ten people I mentioned? Someone that knows your name and you know them. You know them well enough. Maybe you've had a coffee with them. Could have to be your best friend. Could be your best friend. Could be your mom. Could be your dad. Could be your brother. Could be your sister. Could be, you know, whatever. Think of that person right now. And this is what we're going to do. 
evangelism together, I want you to grab your phone. So if you're sitting there in your lounge room, I'm actually, I'm going to go grab mine. Grab your phone. Dan, could you grab my phone for me? It's sitting right there. What a guy. Don't worry, I'll wipe it off. This is what I want you to do. If you've got your phone sitting right there, or go grab it. Certainly that person, if you pull up your text messages, even recent text messages, they're probably there, right? It's probably someone you know well enough. Whoever that person is. Now, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to message them, like, right now. <laughs> and, and, you know, don't say, turn or burn, baby! You know, don't just, just, don't be weird. But you can simply message them and just say this. Hey, can we, ha I want to tell you something important. Can we have a chat? And, and it may, you know, look, however you want to phrase that. Because if you just say, hey, can we grab a coffee sometime? That's pretty normal, right? They say, well, yeah. As soon as lockdown's done. But if you actually say, I want to tell you something important, it's awkward if you don't share it. <laughs> right? Because because then once you finally catch up either on the phone or we'll have to be the phone now, but and if, if you put it on your diary in a few weeks and you grab a coffee, they'd say, like, if, like, especially if they know you well enough, they'd say, well, what, did, what did you want to tell me about? <laughs> right? God, man, Christ response. And And look, if you're as nervous as heck about this, this is where you can be praying with people in this church. You can text your friends. You can text people in your growth group and say, I'm really nervous about this. But I've got a guy that I've been chatting to at Harris Farm. That's an errand affair. And look, really nice guy. And, you know, we've both been having a chat. But I'm going to uh, take the next 30 seconds. And I'm actually going to text him right now and say, hey, when lockdown is over or if you got time in the next few weeks, let's, you know, talk over the phone or, or you know, I'll phrase it how I'm going to phrase it. But can we have a chat? I want to tell you, here's the deal. I want to tell you something important or, you know, however you want to put it in your own words. I, but, but then it, if, if you leave that sort of thing hanging as I've got something I need to tell you or I want something, there's something important I need to share or whatever, you see how it's, it's, it's driving the conversation to something specific? as opposed to just, hey, let's grab a coffee. And, and then here, here's the deal, too. That's a lot easier because if you just say, let's grab a coffee, and you know that the reason you are grabbing a coffee is because you have an ulterior motive, really, in a way, it's, it's more awkward, I think, because then you're kind of like, um... So, uh, I'm trying to find a segue, and there's not really one here, and this is getting awkward, and the person's kind of looking at you going, dude, are you all right? <laughs> As opposed to, if you just say, I have something important to share. Like, again, this could be a brother, as in, like, like literally, your brother, and saying, hey, can we, can we chat? I want to, at some point, I want to share something with you. Yeah, okay. So, for those of you live streaming, and you're like, I'm not going to do that, I just encourage you, like, this is the Great Commission, friend. I hope you've seen the reason why we're supposed to do this and the life's at stake. But if, if you're still not going to do that or whatever, I, you're just going to be, I'm going to be doing this for the next 30 seconds. So it's going to be downtime. So uh, go ahead and take that and then I'll close this in prayer.
How'd you go? It's, it's, <laughs> it's a bit terrifying. But, and, but you know, I just, I just said, hey, mate, we'd love to um, catch up. I've got some great news to share with you. And, yeah, that, that's all I said. So. And then it's perfect because he can say, what's the great news? Well, let me tell you, this is the greatest news in the world. So let me close with this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has not heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. Let's now sing together as we are separated out. Go ahead, Dan.